Hello and welcome to Sunday Strolls, a podcast to get to know the people living in and around the busy streets of the French capital Paris. I'm your host, Leticia, and each week, a new guest, or in this case, two new guests, with an inspiring story take me around a neighbourhood of Paris that's important to them. As we walk and talk, I find out about the personal stories connected to that particular place. This week, join me on my stroll with Chloe and Leticia. Yes, I know one of my guests has the same name as me, hopefully it won't get too confusing. Chloe and Leticia are the co-founders of the Women Cave Collective, a multidisciplinary collective that explores the notion of gender in spaces. Chloe is a Franco-American artist and architect that moved to Paris to study architecture. Her work explores public spaces and how to make them more inclusive and accessible for everyone. Leticia is a jack-of-all-trades French artist. She does a lot of video work, installation work, as well as design and writing. She studied in Switzerland before moving back to Paris, and more specifically Montreuil, where she's currently based. Together, they founded the Women Cave Collective. They have a design and architecture studio where they design inclusive furniture, amongst other things, as well as a biannual journal called The Women Journal, which is initially how I discovered the Women Cave Collective. The Women Journal is a feminist, intersectional, biannual journal that is published in both French and English. I first saw Chloe and Leticia at a book fair held at the Ballet de Tokyo in Paris a few months ago. They spoke excitedly about the workshop they were holding a few days later, which would teach participants about graphic design by baking a font. And by that, I mean making letters with cookie dough. This obviously got my attention. And when I asked the Women Cave Collective founders to be my guests on this new podcast I was launching, I was very happy they accepted and told me to meet them at Leticia's art studio in Montreuil. And so that's how this podcast about exploring Paris and its inhabitants begins not in the first arrondissement by the Louvre, but a few kilometres away in Montreuil, an eastern suburb of Paris I'd incidentally never been to. Throughout our stroll, we talked about what it takes to start a review, illustration as a form of communication, and feminist cookies. In this episode, as well as the next ones, a map of our walk will be posted to the podcast Instagram page so you can follow along as you're listening and you can know where we walked as we were recording this episode. The links to the Instagram page as well as information about the Women Cave Collective and anything else we might have referenced during the episode are in the show notes. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Leticia and Chloe from the Women Cave Collective. I started by asking them to describe where we were. So, <laughs> I think uh, maybe Leticia should describe this because we're at her place. Yeah, so we are at the Atelier Flamme at Montreuil, in Montreuil. Uh, it's a place... Um, which is shared by uh, eight artists. And uh, yeah, we work here. And the stock of the Women's Journal are here in the storage. Mm. Yeah. So I'm Chloe, and I come and kind of squat their, <laughs> their art studio from time to time when we have big projects for Women Cave. And if it's even too big, sometimes we occupy Leticia's apartment, which is just next to yeah. Atelier Flamme. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Leticia? 
<laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> and if we were to talk about the architecture, it's um, it's an old factory. Actually, maybe Leticia can explain that. Yeah, it's an old factory um, bought by uh, a man uh, like uh, 10, 10 or 20 years ago. And he sell it to some people and uh, make a lot of money with it. And there is an atelier at the... Front? Front, yeah. Curbside? Curbside. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Are there a lot of different ateliers yeah. in Montreuil? Montreuil, a lot of ateliers. Some people say that the, it's a town who has the most uh, artists artist, uh, in France. I think it's related to the to the fact that because it was in the outskirts of the city, there's a lot of urban of um, old factories More. and uh, bigger um, spaces that were less way mm. cheaper, mm. and now it's gentrifying quite a bit. So this is not so much the case today, although compared to Paris, it is still less expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's much. starting is it, is to get more expensive. expensive? More. Yeah, and actually we'll see some houses maybe on our way. There's this phenomenon where people will come like buy a house here and then fix it up and and then sell it for millions whereas before it was maybe divided into apartments that people were living in together and it was an accessible way to yeah. live here. And so tell me about who you guys are now that we know where we are. So we are a Women Cave a collective. Um, but also, uh, I'm Chloé, and this is... <laughs> I'm Leticia. I'm uh, originally an architect, and I'm also an artist, and... Yeah, I'm an artist, and now I said that I am a designer, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, through our collective, we, we're ending up like crossing our practices, because we created this uh, feminist intersectional arts and design collective, around the idea of how we can um, explore the notion of gender in inhabited spaces, basically, through, um, uh, through a journal uh, called The Women Journal that we publish two times a year, and through workshops that we make to prepare the theme of each journal. And also now we're starting to get into like designing set design and furniture and that kind of stuff. Ah, so cool. Leticia is becoming a designer. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And how did you meet? Um, we have a friend in common. Yeah, we, we, I studied, basically I went to architecture school with Leticia's best friend from childhood, one of her best friends from childhood. And then that person was my friend in architecture school. And then around the time that I stopped being friends with that person, I became friends with Leticia. Uh. <laughs> and so tell me about Women Cave and, and how that, that started. I'm pretty sure I read your, your portfolio and I saw that you at some stage worked on a project that was called Woman Cave. Mm. And so I was wondering if, if the name comes from that project. Uh, so the project uh, kind of started with this thought process that I was developing around the idea of like reading um, a room of your own and then also discovering the red tent, which is like circles of discussion where women meet and talk. And um, and also that that thought process was kind of mixing a bit with the idea of um, like the American term the man cave in the house, which is kind of usually the space in the house where the dad can just do whatever, and you know it'll be like an excuse, like oh where's where's daddy? Why isn't he cleaning the dishes? Oh he's in his man cave. 
So um, it was kind of a way to joke on that. And the idea was what if we made a space that was like a space for discussing about these questions of gender in relation to architecture and different spaces as well, like the spaces of, you know, work or, you know, just different different contexts and um, so we got selected to this uh, workshop to do the workshop um, and make this woman cave space which is like a kind of uh, it looks like a cave <laughs> with like modules of uh, like chicken wire with paper mache that we painted and the idea was that it was modular and you could personalize how you use the space and uh, so with Leticia and our another friend, uh, Urshka uh, from Slovenia, we did this workshop in Estonia in the framework of this um, students' architecture festival in Switzerland. When was this? 2019? Yeah, I think. Yeah, right, yeah. right before uh, COVID yeah. and stuff. Okay, yeah. So the collective, you, you started the collective in 2019? We didn't really start the collective, we just did this workshop. Okay, sure. And the experience was kind of like surprising because we started it really like, oh, everyone's going to love our idea. Everyone's going to like want to do our feminist workshop. And actually only like not that many people were into it. And and um, we were surprised by the reactions. Why, why do you think people weren't into it? Um, I, I think it's just maybe it's uh, in architecture schools, at least the culture maybe isn't really there to like have a reflection around these questions or it wasn't at the time. And then also it's mixing uh, students from uh, countries all around the world. And even though in France we're not like a super feminist country yet, um, there's, you know, a lot of places like, I don't know, people coming from um, Latin America who were telling us their experiences, people coming, coming from Eastern Europe or, you know, Russia who had a lot to say about this or who weren't really, there wasn't a consensus on these questions. So I think in that really global context, it brought up a lot of harsh reaction from some people and maybe also we didn't really think about that before proposing the workshop we were just yeah. like this is going to be so fun we didn't realize that maybe there's countries where like you don't talk about that you know well there's some people from countries that are perhaps like very you know where feminism is not really a topic there there was a lot of uh, girls from uh, south america and there was uh, a lot in feminism but not the same feminists that's uh, yeah. us like a very, um, I don't know how to say that, but exclusive feminist, like don't mix uh, men and women, and mm -hmm. binary yeah. feminist, I think, but it's not the same. Uh, and so we, they, they didn't want that uh, the cave can be open to men, yeah. and uh, we are uh, not uh, agree with yeah. us, but yeah, it's a lot of discussion. It was a lot of discussion. Yeah. yeah. Did it change your, your perspective on some feminist issues or topics or like beliefs that you had being surrounded by all of the people who like had very different approaches to feminism uh, i think yeah and that's why we made uh, the woman journal i think mm. that's the beginning of the topics of the woman journal i think yeah that's true um like we were thinking it's a shame to to end the conversation here and we realized like oh wow actually these topics aren't uh really finished yet in this field so we need to find a, a way that we can keep going and talking about it and documenting this 
So we created the Women's Journal, but we didn't have the idea of like selling it right away. Um, actually, at first we only printed 150 of them, uh, which is like nothing <laughs> because we gave one to each person who was a part of it. And of, the, of the original Women Cave project? Yeah. 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 And actually after the, because we were, we were not that many and even after the workshop some people who were in the workshop didn't have enough time to participate to the journal we ended up doing an open call on Instagram and surprisingly got quite a lot of people who applied and our goal was to not uh, refuse anybody unless they weren't at all like even on the theme you know yeah so then we accepted everyone and that was how we made the first woman journal Okay, wow. And did you not want to res refuse anyone because um, because of what you're talking about and like the, the, the fact that people can have different perspectives and, and wanting to be inclusive in that front? Or what was the reason you didn't want didn't to, you know, say no to anyone? Leticia usually says this really well in French, <laughs> um, but we, tr we work a lot on the non-hierarchy of knowledge. So we try to dismantle Uh, the way that knowledge is usually created and archived in institutions or just in our culture where you know usually you have people who are kind of validated by institutions or by diplomas who are the ones who are automatically right but you know to have a space in those institutions to have access to that power um, is not really made accessible to people who aren't like white men so Um, I mean, we could go on and on about that, but we, we don't want to filter out people because people have different experiences that are valid and interesting and, and we want to make them heard. C'est bien, c'est ok. So now we're arriving at Libertalia, which is a bookshop that we wanted to sell the Women Journal here for a long time and we never came. So we're thinking of asking them if they want to sell the women's Let's journal. Let's do it. I want to see how, how that plays out. <laughs> Good okay. luck. <laughs> okay. 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 Enfin, on a très peu d'espace pour les revues, ouais. à part la différence qu'on met sur table et okay. ce qu'ils les connaissent très bien. Euh... Enfin, c'est pas par aucun diffuseur. Non, non, on, on va le faire. On y pense ouais. là et on va le faire pour le prochain. Je... Enfin, il y a des euh, passages ben, en Là, là en français, il y a quelques articles en anglais, mais elle va être en bilingue pour le prochain. Ouais. D'accord, ok. Et eh ben ouais, avec plaisir. Et puis euh, pour les autres, euh, si vous passez par un diffuseur, ouais. dites-nous et ce sera avec plaisir de faire okay. un Trop bien. Bah, lancement ici ouais. et vous nous rencontrer. And so that's how you get rejected. <laughs> how, how does it work? Do you just go to lots of different libraries and ask? Yeah. We send uh, some emails sometimes. It's uh, But sometimes also it's easier just to go there. Yeah. Or sometimes it's cool, you talk to the librarian, they give you some tips, like it really yeah. depends. So that was actually really interesting to see how you guys sell journal. Um, to go back to the people who contribute, is it exclusively on Instagram, um, your open calls? So that's a good question. Um, first of all, we don't only do it on Instagram anymore. We do Instagram, um, our newsletter, 
and Facebook, which is kind of dying now. And, and some other newsletters, so like La Frappe. Yeah. Yeah. And another one that's like more academic. For, But yeah, that is a question that we try to ask ourselves is where do we diffuse it? Because we wish that in the first one we had some teenagers and we wish we had more younger people. Okay. And in this last one, we're, uh, we don't have really younger people, but we do have uh, some contributors who are a bit older. And so we're really happy about that because we want the... In the selection process and in the contents that we want, we're really looking for like non-specialists, but specialists too, because we really want their points of view to be together. To have also people who are usually marginalized from spaces of publication, and um, also to have, uh, yeah, like you know, women, queer people, people from other countries. Also, is really cool to have their viewpoints, which is why we're going into a bilingual version because yeah, okay. we never refuse people on the basis of a language problem. That's why in the last one we had some articles in English, even though the journal is mostly in French, because yeah. it's so, that's not fair to refuse them just because of their language. And how the editing process, if you're working with someone who doesn't have like, a language that you don't know, how, how do you work with them on that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, with Fernanda. Yeah. So yeah, I did work with someone who's an architect and anthropologist in Brazil. She didn't speak English or French, so she would translate. Her friends would translate, the emails also were translated. C'est par là? What? Par là? Ah, okay, okay. And uh, who else? Also Tilutama. I'm, well, basically, because I'm na a native English speaker, uh, the way it works is with Leticia, we divide all of the people yeah. that we selected. That's the first thing to explain. We divide all the people into two groups. And so Leticia edits half, I edit half. And editing for us means uh, four aller-retour, like four emails uh, back and forth, or a, a call, a Zoom call, a phone call. Sometimes that's way more constructive. And we don't like edit. Uh, it's not like editing spelling mistakes or something. It's more like helping them construct a really nice and clear and concise uh, and pertinent a piece of work that's in their style but is really we're just trying to bring out the best of their work yeah, 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 yeah. I guess and make sure there's nothing problematic as well in terms right. of the fact that we're a feminist in, um, intersectional magazine so we do have to be sure that we're kind of taking care of how people are going to be presented in our magazine so for example we have some people who are you know queer or trans and if somebody else writes an article that could be misinterpreted or seen as derogatory for those people, we try to bring it up and talk about it with them, for example. Mm -hmm. And has that happened that you've, you've had, you know, to have tough conversations or like maybe that, that like treatment or wording of, of queer and trans people? Yeah, um, I think we did have sometimes, it's not really like a super problematic thing. I think it's more, it's hard to, to it's not like a violent 
right away. It's more like people don't realize that when they're writing something, it's going to be side by side with something else. They don't know what the other content is. So, but we do. So it's more just about telling them, hey, watch out about how you said this. Maybe we can reformulate it. And I don't think the people writing that mean it in a bad way or something. It's more just they're not aware of what else is next to them. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And like maybe they, they haven't thought about it. And yeah. Um, I guess that's also the, the role of an editor is to have that you know, global perspective on, on what's being written. What's a piece of uh, an article you've read that like really stuck with you? Lately, I uh, was translating this um, article by Tilotama, who lives uh, between Bangladesh and India. And I was a bit worried at first about this contribution because Tilotama does not speak very, uh, really English. And I think we just, it's very hard to understand each other even with translations of our languages because they just work in such different ways. But we ended up saying, okay, what if we work on the article through drawing? Maybe it'll bring stuff up and it'll be easier to communicate, you know? And Tilotama ended up doing this really cool, like very personal and, and sweet um, little story about their memories of their mother using sewing and embroidery as a way to kind of release stress and pressure from, you know, being a woman, being a mother in society uh, in Bangladesh, in India. And um, yeah, I'm really happy about that. One, because I was like a bit worried that we wouldn't be able to communicate what they wanted to say, you know, and I'm really glad that with drawing, it's easier to understand each other, I think. Yeah, and it's really beautiful. You send me some pictures and it's, uh, yeah. it's really nice. Yeah. That's really cool. yeah, and it's cool because also we don't always get people who draw. So it's nice to have this new variety. And there's also another um, article that was really nice is uh, Juliette, who's an architect, who... Um, whose father passed away and Juliette talks about how her mother after losing you know her husband rebuilt herself by making collective gardens like um, in, in the hospital where he died and it's an interview between the two where they're talking about this and like recounting the experience of how he died and what it felt like when he died and I think it's really cool because Juliette also realizes that in uh, the media you don't really see that many women uh, who lost their husband who are alone at 50 years old. You often see like the happy mother, like the happy family. So I think it's really cool to see a figure of like a woman who's rebuilding herself and happy because she's making things and connecting people. Yeah, so. yeah that's great. I really like the article of Elisa and I think you already oh, yeah. translated yeah i'm starting to yeah, yeah and uh, she talked about um uh, alimentary job i don't know ah uh, uh, yeah like a side job yeah, yeah it was really really in yeah, yeah. interesting but um yeah yeah and actually um elisa and juliette um, these are people who uh, will participate in the events that we organize. So with Leticia, we, get, we have this kind of <laughs> crazy goal is that for every, <laughs> every magazine that we publish, we want to invite um, each person in the magazine at some point to do an event or a reading or a performance. And so for volume two, we almost got there. Like we almost have everybody. And there's some contributors. How many contributors were there? 35. Oh, wow. And That's, you organized 35 events. Almost, because wow. we're still missing some. Yeah. Uh, like I'm trying to set up one in Amsterdam, and we're trying to do one in uh, in Denmark. 
<laughs> because we have contributors in those countries, but I don't think we can go to Brazil. We decided oh, we're not yeah. going to Brazil. How do you decide the theme of the channel? Uh, so the first one had no theme because it was just, uh, we didn't, yeah. you know. And then the next ones, we kind of just came up with it like naturally maybe. But also we, we prepare the theme in a way with these workshops that we try to set up to formalize the theme where we invite uh, the public to participate. So like for example, uh, this past weekend we activated a, a font workshop with the public where uh, they helped us make letters in cookie dough and then we're, right now we're like turning it into a typeface that is inclusive so there's because in French, there's some, you know, words are masculine and feminine. And so we try to make this kind of font where you have less, uh, where it's, um, I don't know how you say, it's less gendered in the yeah, language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that you guys did that as, as a project. And I think you did that beforehand with bread, right? Yeah, um, we tested it a bit with right. bread for Letizia's diploma. And I was just like so curious about that. Um, I find it super cool, first of all, like the, the, the concept of, you know, creating the font materially with like food yeah. <laughs> and then turning it into, into a font you can use online. Well, yeah, Leticia can say more about this. Yeah, I think it's a really nice uh, way to discover typography, but also for children or just non-specialist uh, people who don't didn't know and didn't know what uh, what is typography at all and yeah it's it's also really um comment uh, dire federateur brings people together yeah brings people together and that's the point of uh, many of our uh, workshop i think yeah yeah and this uh, workshop is um Coming back to the question on the themes that you were saying for each n journal, this workshop was a way to prepare the theme called Toolbox Tools for Emancipation, which is a volume three, which we'll publish. And so this uh, type font is like one of the tools, basically. And um, yeah, that's kind of the way that we see it, like as a way to prepare each theme, we do these workshops and then the theme, I don't know, it just comes up between us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it just yeah. comes naturally, I guess. Yeah. And I also, I have the sense from like, you know, l looking at all the different workshops that you do, and um, I guess the, the cookie typo one being the best example, that um, there's a lot of, you know, it's not this like super, like serious, I mean, you were saying like not academic, and there's a lot of fun involved in it as well which I was wondering if that's something very intentional or, or if it just happens because you guys do so many workshops that you want to do stuff that's fun. Mm. So, do you well, want to say? So, so you <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, so Letizia said, yeah, it's intentional <laughs> as she's wrapping her hair in a shushu elastic band. <laughs> um, yeah, it's intentional. We realized when we did the first workshop in Switzerland that people were just naturally kind of releasing uh, their speech more more comfortably but through the act of making things together, you kind of, the barriers drop and it's also yeah. like an equalizer. And every time we do a workshop, people tell us this and we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's a thing about like letting people people let loose and not being so, um, I guess, constrained by like being in a room talking about whatever you're feeling without 
feeling very safe in that environment. Necessarily. Yeah. And the other thing too is that um, what's really important for us in our work as well is working with these accessible DIY, so do-it-yourself craft um, methods. This is something that we say a lot with everything that we do is that we, we are really interested in the practices that a lot of women um, and marginalized people would do, like uh, patch, uh, making a patchwork, quilting, knitting, sewing, these are, or even bread making and you know, baking cookies. These are practices that are associated with the domestic work of women that people take for granted and don't think you need to pay it. And that's why also this work has been for a long time not considered in institutions, in art museums, in art history, or even you know, design. So we really also try to re uh, bring up these practices and show people that they have a place in these fields and that they're really interesting and it's not just women's work it's actually like really useful tools to make things and spaces mm. okay yeah that that makes a lot of sense that's actually really cool like reclaiming reclaiming works or like activities that have been kind of set aside because they're more traditionally like women's activities basically I like that. <laughs> Do you get um, people who, I don't know, maybe have never heard of feminism or who aren't, you know, um like, do you get men? Do you get people who don't really care about, about feminism but just want to bake cookies? Does that ever happen? <laughs> yeah, it's happened sometimes. I think it's okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's okay, like that's kind of also the point, I think, is to break down the barriers and to talk about feminism, or I don't know, to talk about these questions in a non-taboo way. So it's totally cool that people just come and yeah. as long as they're doing it like respectfully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it ever get hard for you to, you know, balance between um, being a journal editor and, and uh, being a translator and uh, doing more concrete like big exhibition work and and doing workshops like does does it ever get you know difficult to balance all these all these different things I don't know I think that's what we like I think like we can do what we want but uh, yeah I think uh, that's the point of a woman cave I don't know. Yeah, I think we're happy to do it and it's, um, I mean, we, it would be complicated to prone like DIY mm. methods if we were, it, and, and say, oh, I hate doing the admin of, m of my own association. Like, it's our thing that we made, so we have to own it. And also, uh, the way that we work together is really um, uh, random with Leticia. <laughs> yeah, random. <laughs> Like we, we don't really organize regular, we tried at a time to have like regular meetings every week. It just doesn't work because we aren't, we don't pay ourselves for the work that we do with Women Cave yet. We just started to maybe be able to sometimes pay yeah. some small moments, but we really don't have that kind of budget. So it's hard to also demand from one another to be all the time, you know, available if, or something, because it's also not the point. The point is we're doing it because we want to do it. So it would kill the joy of it, I think, if we started giving ourselves like obligations. So we have like things to do sometimes. We're like, okay, so next week we have this thing. What are we gonna do? <laughs> we have to get ready for it. And we just figure it out. 
and I guess it's your like first experience working with so many people and like being quote unquote in charge of of like the work of so many people if there's 30 contributors to every every journal there's not anymore <laughs> okay. put it down to 11 okay and how how did that selection process go um, I don't know we receive a lot of uh, emails and um, we didn't choose people by uh, um, an already made uh, text and uh, we just uh, work with an idea so yeah we just choose some cool ideas that uh, fit well with the theme I think yeah we at first we said to everyone that and we yeah. and also we chose different pe pe people from different countries different backgrounds and yeah. I think it's important for us also uh, yeah to yeah. like have that diversity yeah. But it's true, it was hard to decide. Like yeah. we were really, we yeah. some people, we asked them more questions. We sent yeah. emails like, can you give us more info? Because we didn't want to make a decision yeah. based on such small info or based on our interpretation, which might be false. Right. So it takes a lot of time. That time of selection is actually like intense. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I guess yeah. you have to say no to people, which is hard as well, uh, I'm assuming. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing that we didn't want to have to do, which is why we had said initially we wouldn't refuse anybody like the first one. But we ended up having to make a selection. So instead, we came up with the idea that we would make a game. Like, we would choose people and then... Um, and then we made a game like if you find the woman journal that has a golden ticket you are allowed to publish any article you want in the next woman journal and if it's the silver one it's any picture mm, i love that that's not only really smart to like sell your woman journals but also like a, a super super cool way of not having to you know directly tell people like actually you can't publish in this in this uh, edition or something yeah, that's yeah. super cool. I don't know if it's like actually working to sell. I don't think people are like, I need the golden ticket. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to buy actually, 20 women journals. That's true. Like, it's maybe <laughs> not Charlie and the just, Chocolate Factory. Uh, look at the, as a page to find it. Uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> okay, those people are cheaters. <laughs> yeah, those people aren't allowed to write um, in the next women journal. <laughs> Is this a library that you go to, Leticia? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a feminist uh, library. Uh, I don't think we send the woman journal inside. Oh, we did. Give, they yeah. do have it. Yeah. Ah, okay. Because yeah. I don't have that on the list. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep track of all of the different libraries you're selling it at? Uh, we have an Excel and um, <laughs> Chloe uh, always uh, completes it and then I forget to. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we, we didn't expect to sell the first one, so... You're right. <laughs> we never knew that the first one we didn't organize it we just started bringing it to bookshops like why not let's see we didn't really follow very well so I think there's some bookshops who have the volume one who never told yeah. us <laughs> who sold it because we have no more <laughs> I guess it's, it's very cool that you know maybe you weren't expecting to turn it into what it is today so like uh, something that that's being published every every six months um, and I don't know if maybe you, you have a goal for what it's going to be like later down the line. Um, but ideally, what, what would the Women Cave Collective be in like a few years time, like say three years time? 
Whoa. <laughs> we don't really we thought about it. We don't really go that far in our head, I think. No, sure. I think uh, the ideal situation, at least for right now, would be that like we can keep doing it and people are happy that we're, we're happy doing it. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. And what? Uh, what we're trying to do is to set up our design and architecture collective because we we know that we wouldn't be able to live off of this work full time maybe part time but it's really it takes a lot of work and energy for us so we always have to juggle with another job so the cool thing would be if we managed to like also have a practice of architecture and design and workshops that can finance uh, the time for the journal as well and also it can be a way to apply our intersectional feminist theories into the world like in a really productive way because actually we didn't talk about it so much during this uh, time but we really love building stuff and making yeah. stuff. I don't really have an idea of what an intersectional feminist piece of design would look like. How do you apply a theory and like maybe even like a way of life to an object or a space, like even with architecture, like how, how does that work? Um, I think we think about uh, the materials and uh, we always uh, work with some um, reused fabrics, reused wood and this kind of stuff, yeah. And um... Or like for example, for Laetitia's diploma, we built the set design and we together as well with uh, Priek Huon, who's the artist and Laetitia's boyfriend. And um, we made a, a whole set of furniture that was totally um, it was made in wood totally and then it was totally uh, adjustable you could adjust the height you could adjust yeah. even on the benches you could adjust the angle if you wanted and it was a way for us to think of how we can make a furniture like more um, inclusive to different bodies mm. okay yeah that, that yeah and it was also totally um, dismountable so it could totally be uh, like folded up and moved easily from one place to another so it's also a way to make it easy to use and reusable you don't throw it away or something mm -hmm. and and would you say like especially um, with like making furniture that's that can be adapted to any any body type is that something in the design space that's really uncommon at the moment um, at least I think that it's more and more something that people are talking about and it's more common in other like I think English speaking countries because of um, just in the history in France like architecture and design has been very uh, controlled by men um, whereas like in some other countries there was more room to think about these things like if you read Stephanie Dadul's book on uh, um, feminism in architecture she talks about this and tries to understand why in France like these questions came much later I think there's a cultural context and historical context that makes it in a certain way that also there's an understanding of the job of an architect in each country that is different for example in France until uh, the 68 student revolutions architecture was a part of art school the Beaux-Arts and when you uh, did those studies there was a prize you could go to Rome and um, uh, do research there for a year and then you could become like a national architect and, and uh, 
for a while you, you could only be an architect if you were like administered by the state basically and it was very just very controlled yeah very centralized job. yeah very like controlled. like a lot of of things in France <laughs> yeah and even I feel like design as a discipline is very uh, less present in France than in other countries. Um, what does it take to open up a, a design practice? To just start uh, start doing it? I don't know. Start designing <laughs> stuff? <laughs> I think uh, Women Cave is already kind of a design practice. Would it be called Women Cave, your, your practice? We start to think about find another name, but we just find it and after don't use it at, at all. Yeah. Don't. I don't know. What's the, what's the other name? It's Cluso Studio, which is, um, I don't know how to say that, but a kind of specific uh, souterrain. Underground. Underground uh, in the refuge in the south of France. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a kind of um, mirror of the woman cave. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, I like that. It's like the underground version. Yeah, as we get more into trying to do like furniture or design of spaces and stuff we we don't know how to necessarily communicate that to the people who are interested in the journal and the Instagram of our journal and as well I think the clients well we agreed that the clients of like the spatial projects maybe aren't so interested in like feminist cookies you know so <laughs> so maybe maybe one day they will be though who knows yeah. step by step you know okay cool. to make it accessible we got to make Make it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense as well. So we're trying, we'll see. We've circled back, so now would be a great time to finish the podcast, but maybe I haven't asked you something that you guys want to talk about. Yeah, we have our Instagram. Yeah, yeah and on our Instagram, uh, it's womencave underscore collective. And you can sign up in the link tree to our newsletter. And those two things are quite alive. But yeah, our website is mostly just our portfolio. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Sunday Strolls. If you liked it, I would appreciate it so much if you shared it to other people around you. The map for this week's episode is available on Instagram and once again, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Thank you very much again and I'll see you next week for a new stroll. Mm-hmm.